Welcome to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch, and this is a podcast of conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Rachel Desain. Rachel's an internationally regarded digital strategist and thought leader on the future of health and social care delivery in a connected world. With over 20 years of global experience, having worked with governments, Fortune 500 companies and leading academic institutions. Rachel's a member of the Australian New Zealand Leadership Forum and was appointed to the newly established World Health Organization's Digital Health Panel of Experts and has provided keynote presentations on this subject at events around the world. Up until recently, Rachel was the Executive General Manager responsible for innovation, design and development at the Australian Digital Health Agency, where she led the creation of Australia's digital health strategy, as well as the health innovation exchange concept and a range of improvements to the products and services of national infrastructure, including the My Health Record and many others. After leaving government in 2018, Rachel founded Codesane, a strategic design agency advising organisations looking to understand how to embrace the changes being brought about by the technological, societal and political changes. Hey, Rachel, how are you going? I am very well, and thank you. That's a very big mouthful, so um, <laughs> big Thank you. Yeah. It's, it gets me warmed up for a cracking episode, so there's probably lots for us to cover that I've only just skimmed the surface of in that brief bio. Give us the spiel. Tell us your background. What, what's led you to, to where you are today, Rachel? Wow. Well, that's a big question. I guess, like anyone, it's a combination of luck, hard work, and various, oh, well, let's give it a go and see what happens decisions that... <laughs> we all sort of make along the way. I guess really I've never been very good at sitting still. I went to uni early at 16, but what I was being taught then didn't kind of match the world that I was looking at or experiencing, which was very, very early stages of, I guess, websites and digital coming out back in, gosh, when would that be? 96, that's showing my age. And I ventured out and taught myself how to design and develop websites and did, you know, the typical Aussie Kiwi thing of heading to the UK and found myself working on the front line of kind of online interactive transformation that was happening. Um, then got an amazing opportunity to work on WAP, as it was called back then, with Nokia and Accenture over in Finland. The first WAP phones, the 7110, I don't know if you remember those weird phones. Oh, um, no, I had a 3210, which was like a brick, and then like, yeah. upgrade it to the 80. 8210. They used to be like Levi's jeans. I don't know if you know 501. It's the color of the label, the the waist thing, and then the leg thing. So same (laughs) thing I think Nokia did. But yeah, so so worked on on mobile back in 99 and sort of worked with some amazing companies. But I got quite sick and navigating the health system really planted a seed for me to try and apply those skills and that different type of thinking that we were seeing in the consumer world around digital to see if we could sort of improve the way people experience healthcare. So when I came to Australia about 14 years ago now, I was involved with AMIA. I don't know if you know them, the Australian Interactive Media Industry oh, Association. Yes, 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 I do. I do, yes. I think they've changed their name now. I'm not sure what they are now. But mm. back in the early 2000s, we were sort of talking about, oh, it's great that more industries are getting into inter- interactive and they've you know, said, who's interested in in looking at health? And I immediately put my hand up and said, yes, pick me. Hmm. And started going to various Heiser meetings and running workshops for people in healthcare about social media and design thinking. And more often than not, I was kind of laughed out of the room when I mentioned Twitter or mentioned those things. But however many years on, 10 10 years on, it certainly changed a lot. So then I founded a digital strategy agency and we were doing a lot of work in healthcare and then was asked to take the job at Digital Health Agency, which I'll admit a big part of me thought 
I think you've got the wrong person. I'm not really <laughs> qualified to do this. It's a really big first assistant secretary level job in government and I'm not a pearl wearing sort of person. <laughs> and I thought, and I'm sure probably a lot of people in digital might have thought to what on earth is she doing with that job? But it was an incredible honour to work with some amazing people and also bring in some different types of personalities and skill sets that weren't there before in the NISA or government days. And my aim was really about making co-design and evidence-based design part of the fabric of that organisation. And being honest, and it's something I've spoken about before, but it's a bit scary still to talk about is my own mental health. The short version of it was the environment at the agency wasn't really a good fit for me. And while it was a really tough decision to walk away from an incredible job and all the perks that came with it, a couple of years ago, I chose to put my health first and and walk away. So Hmm. taking a bit of time out and regroup and think about what I wanted to do next. Good on you. Good on you. And so so you've established your own agency. Is that the same agency you mentioned 10 years ago? So Codesane, is that something new or has that always kind of been an undercurrent to what you've done? No, so Flaxworks was the first company that I that I set up and um, part of taking the job in government was that I had to sell that and, and sell mm. and sort of move on as parts of it. You, you can't, and, and rightly so, you can't own anything that's working in that space. Sure. Although I do read media articles of politicians owning things and think, hang on, why'd you make me sell mine? But that's probably a topic for another yeah. conversation. Yes. Yeah, so I set up Codestone after leaving the agency. I had a bunch of people in various parts of health sort of reach out and ask for some independent advice regarding their digital strategy. How do we identify and validate what are the problems worth solving, the opportunities we should invest resource and time in? And co-design for me is really at the heart of all, all that. I felt that there was a space for an independent partner, not necessarily the, the sort of big Ford to come in and, and help people co-design the future of healthcare. I guess it's quite helpful. My last name is Desam, which is French yeah, for yeah. of health, and it sounds like design. No way. Um, that's like I such know. a neat kind of package. Thanks, Mum and Dad. Maybe that's why you got the gig at the ADHA. <laughs> maybe that's it. <laughs> the stars aligned and someone gave it to me. Yeah, um, yeah. I had someone the other day actually say to me, oh, code sane, sensible code, that works. Oh, and I yeah. thought, oh. Okay. Anyway, that's pretty close. Yeah, that's good. That's when good. I was at school, they used to um, sing insane in the membrane and, and make fun of me. So it's nice. I can flip yeah. it. That doesn't matter. We're getting distracted, Rachel. Focus, focus. <laughs> All right. So yeah, Codesane. So you're working with bigger organizations or smaller startups or a little bit of both or what's the next? Uh, a little bit of both. So our work is really varied, which I love and helps ensure that we're able to give broad insights from those different engagements to all of our clients, whether they're here in Australia or New Zealand, whether they're Ministry of Health in New Zealand, we did something for last year or state governments or hospitals or small health tech companies who are maybe looking for a market entry strategy into Australia and New Zealand or some research and analysis work that we do, a lot of think pieces. And then the kind of core strategy consulting advisory work for groups who'll just say, we're not sure if we should go in this direction or that direction. Can you help and give us some some advice before we then engage the PwCs or the, the whoever's? Mm, got it. And so, so there's so much focus on co-design you mentioned mm-hmm. before. Let's delve into that in a little bit more detail. What's, what's that all about for those that aren't in the know? So... I think that that health's actually been doing it all, all for a long time. It's just got a different word, which is participatory health or coordinated care, that type of thing. 
I think healthcare can often be quite tribal, primary versus secondary care or nurses versus doctors, software engineers creating apps that don't really work in the context of the various users who will interact with it. So co-design is so much more than just holding a focus group with some patients and ticking a box and saying, oh, there you go, we've done co-design. We had three people tell us what they wanted. It, It should be part of every step of your innovation process from identifying you've got a problem, validating who it affects and why, ideating new ways to do things, testing it, developing it. And it's a really smart idea to work with a diverse group of people co-designing all the way through because you're going to be more likely to drive a faster adoption and acceleration of uptake of your solution and minimize issues around, oh, I don't know if you remember the baby book, the first one that came out that was built, which was kind of okay, but the problem was they didn't co-design it with all the users. And when a woman turned up or a new mum, the maternity nurses who saw it went, this doesn't work with my workflow. I don't know how to interact with this yeah, right. service. So, oh, like the, the blue book, you meant the, the one that you might have as a yeah, there was. The, I know they're doing a lot of work on that now at the agency with the children's testbed innovation stuff. But the first one that was built, I think by Deloitte's, I'm not sure, many moons ago, had some good bits to it, but it just didn't get used because they hadn't mm. thought about all the various people that they should co-design with. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. And so then if we're thinking more broadly about how that can help in, in healthcare, I guess that's how we can start delivering more meaningful change to healthcare. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And I think technology is often the easy part. If, if you're really bringing diverse groups of people together and giving a platform where they can actually speak, often some groups within healthcare can feel quite intimidated to talk, even if they're in the same room as others. Mm. So that's, that's a big bit. But it helps to have a way to identify where there's some problems that are worth solving and understand the value of what it means to solve them by those different user groups. And then by co-designing it with those groups, you're more likely to get them to take it up when you launch it. Healthcare really more often than not is not just one transaction. It's a conversation. It's a journey. It's many different things. So, and, and a patient will interact with many different types of people, let alone the fact that they have their own family and carers at home they interact with. That has a big influence on their adherence and all that. So the principles of co-design, I think, are just a great way to help ensure that we make things that make sense. No, good. Get it. Understand. Perfect. Hey, look, thinking then back to your time at the ADHA at the Australian Digital Health Agency, where did you see the most amount of transformation when it comes to innovation and and digital health in in Australia? Well, I think to be fair, at the agency when I was there, we were pretty focused on the health informatics side of digital health as that's really where a lot of the focus quite rightly it had to be on standards, data interoperability, getting the foundations of the national infrastructure right. And I think much like many people today with COVID-19 might think digital health is a remote conversation with a doctor on Skype. And sorry, it shouldn't be Skype. So many people will tell me off. It's so much more than that. It's how every single element of how we do healthcare can be improved and in some cases transformed through connected technologies. During my time at the agency, I don't actually think we did anything too innovative, to be honest. And that was the right thing to do. You you can't put interesting things on a table if the legs are wonky. I think the approach we took of how we wanted to do things was probably the most innovative. When we created the strategy, it was all about trying to co-design that with different groups. 
We also, I think, a bit limited with how the contracts we inherited with pre-existing parties were structured in terms of the national infrastructure, innovations that some of us may have wanted to bring about and coupled with, I guess, a lot of fear in government about things they may not have understood that well around data also limited the ability to do more things like opening up the APIs and really transforming the platform mm. from you will all use the My Health Record interface to, hey, let's build an infrastructure to allow industry to develop innovative personal solutions that allow the community to engage with their data wherever it is in, in a way that works best for them. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a tricky job, but I mean, I guess in, when, when you put it that way, it's, it's pretty sensible. Moving on, thinking about digital health in the home, that's a growing area of interest, I guess, in Australia and uh, understand for yourself as well. And it's one that's become mm-hmm. particularly relevant in a in a COVID world, in this current climate, as they say, what opportunities are you seeing in this area in particular when it comes to digital health in the home? Well, it's super exciting. I think actually talking about those table legs and, and giving some props to the people at, at NETA and the agency, because those table legs are getting a bit stronger, a lot of what we're seeing now being able to, to be achieved reasonably quickly is because the time spent getting those basics up to speed. And, and yes, I'll absolutely admit they are not perfect. That's fantastic they're looking at replatforming but it's certainly a lot better about four or five years ago i I worked on a innovative solution for a new york-based vc company and an international pharma group where we created a chat engine i guess you'd say a reskinned version of of whatsapp that lets you chat to a doctor get repeat scripts medical certificates that type of thing trying to find gps who would work on that solution was extremely difficult Mm. they were very concerned they couldn't give the quality of care And that's now really changed. Many doctors, young ones, old ones, all sorts, who even just six months ago were saying, you just can't consult via a screen, Mm. are now actually saying, right, you can. And for a lot of things, it works pretty well. So I think this will be the dawn of a new era of how we think about healthcare. COVID has um, forced us to see that prevention is far mightier than cure. We're talking about these screens that we're going to put in restaurants about everyone wearing face masks and that we can, with a bit of innovation, care for people and keep them healthy in their own home Mm -hmm. through not only remote consultations but a range of easy-to-use medical devices. And I kind of look back on what health was 100 years ago and and you're horrified by some stuff that used to happen. And I think our great-grandchildren will look back and, and think it's barbaric that we made sick people leave their homes and wait in a room with other sick people. Uh, and that's an area I'm, I'm really focused on at present and working on bringing a new solution to market, hopefully, in that space in the next few months. Interesting. Yeah, it's great to see so many providers kind of not not pivoting or just kind of just building on their platforms to be able to to deliver services in different ways to adapt, which I think will, will everyone's saying will become the new norm. So that's, mm. um, that's pretty interesting. Thinking as a health tech or, or a digital health vendor or creator, what kind of solutions do you think will make an impact in healthcare moving forward? So building on what we're talking about COVID or just looking at other areas as well, or also looking at data, how might that kind of play an impact in, in healthcare? Well, data is really key. I'm not sure I agree that data is the new oil. And oil, it's, it's an ever-increasing pool rather than decreasing resources, mm. but it is essential. It's incredibly important to digital transformation. It's the evidence that we need to highlight what changed, what created or drove that change, and also what held it back too is an important measure to count. What type of impact does it make? And 
that's why those those fundamentals and standards are, are so important. I actually think we could, I saw in the paper talking about health literacy programs, but I think we could do with some data literacy programs to help our decision makers really understand not just the value of data, like, oh, yeah, let's capture it, but the value in managing data. It's an ongoing thing. You can't just build a bridge. You have to maintain it, keep it up to date, make sure it doesn't kill people. So today I think we have this find and fix model of healthcare or sick care, I suppose. And that's driven, I think, by how we've collected and actioned the data. We have been making decisions and creating programs based on the data set, which is sick people. And as our phones, our homes, our cars, our gadgets gather and create all sorts of data about our, our life flow, we will, I hope, really start to see and create a broader data set on healthy, happy people who are ideally in their home and, and start to make policy decisions and programs that shift us more to this predict and prevent model of care. I've heard some people say that the silver lining of, of this pandemic, of this horrible COVID is that it's driving forward digital health. But my hope is actually greater than that. It's that it drives forward a whole new way of thinking and prioritisation around prevention and, and what that means of keeping people healthy rather than fixing them when they get sick. Yeah, okay. No, that makes a lot of sense. If we think about some predictions of, of what digital health and healthcare looks like, taking all that into consideration, Rachel, is there some kind of specific areas that you see would be maybe evolving faster than others? Or, or what does what does digital health look like kind of post-COVID? Well, it, it doesn't exist for me because we stopped saying digital health. It's just how we do healthcare. Everything will have a digital connected element to it from how it was delivered to you by drone or the data it generates to, to the communication way that, that you send the information to someone. And and in saying that, I guess language is really important. I think we might see some changes to the terms we use. Elective surgery is a very odd term for non-health people. I'm sure there's a lot of people who didn't want to elect to have that surgery, but yeah. it kept them alive or made them a lot better. Yeah. It'll be really interesting to see will we find some surgeries in a, in a year's time were not necessarily needed and that, that term elective is appropriate. But for many, many more, how have we delayed finding key information? Does that make it elective? I don't know. But I think we'll see the nomenclature, the, the wording around healthcare change. And I think we might see primary care change to be in-home self-care or in-home supported care. We've got subcutaneous patches for delivery of meds. Will I order my flu jab online and have it sent to me and I'll give it to myself? I think solutions and services that are focusing on prevention, um, empowering patients to access information about the way their bodies and minds work best in an accessible way. So often we see that quantified self-group being the worried well. How do yep. we make it for, for a broader set of people? Totally. Um, and finally, I, I really hope we move to a more circular economy. Proud member of CAHA, which is the Climate and Health Alliance, and believe we need to understand the impact our way of life is having on the environment that in turn is creating major health issues such as COVID or the increase in respiratory issues with bushfires. Mm. And with all of that, I think everyone in healthcare truly should be pushing for environmental protection and biodiversity conservation as a foundation for human health and well-being. Anyone who's interested in that space, check out Kaha or Kate Raworth, um, who wrote a book called Donut Economics. It's a really good one to read about what the future could look like. Interesting. I'll, I'll put the details of those in the show notes of this one as well so people can click on those to check out some more information too. I did want to go back to that point you made. That's um, the amount of 
uh, fist pumping and high fives. I just did when you talked about the quantified self is the worried well. That's I'm I've been on that kind of bandwagon for a little bit, even if it's just to myself from time to time. And and I think where we can make digital health more meaningful is when it kind of broadens out from that group of, I guess, dedicated people who are tracking every using digital health just to track themselves. So I'm thinking from a patient's perspective, when when digital health can really kind of make a meaningful impact to health at a macro level, then we're kind Kind of doing some some good things. Mm. So I guess Rachel, way off script for a second, but if if I was to think as a patient, one of the biggest barriers that I might have to using digital health would be like you know if I was interested in utilizing some of these tools that are um, evolving, or I hear of some kind of because I think everyone now is doing much more research and and becoming much more aware of the healthcare tools available to them. Both the traditional ones are more like technology enabled ones. If I was a patient and my healthcare practitioner say a GP who's, who's, I guess for their own reasons, quite conservative generally or may not be fully up to speed about what's happening or just generally not wanting to participate in a more kind of modern collaborative. way of healthcare, collaborative healthcare. Yes. What are some kind mm. of, I guess, tips or um, suggestions or way to approach that patient and clinician relationship to be able to utilise some of these tools as a patient and push a bottom-up swell as opposed to waiting for clinicians to go, yeah, I like this bit of software or hopefully not, but hopefully, or waiting for another pandemic before something actually really kind yeah. of happens and 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 makes a change. What, what do you have any thoughts on that? Whew. Well, I think it was about a year ago. I I did something for Ant Health, a really awesome group. I'm sure you know Grace and yeah. Bronwyn and those guys there. But yeah. talking about the wearables and the value of sort of information coming from patients. And through that, I actually went and spoke to a bunch of clinicians, including my husband's cardiologist. And he was, he said, look, I'd I'd been very much that they were a waste of time and they were useless, but we had somebody, a young guy, I think in his late twenties, come in and, and show me some info from his smartwatch that just what just started a conversation that they then found he had quite a unique issue with his heart I'm not clinical, so I'm not sure what exactly it was, but they were they were able to act on that. And he said, and I'm now a fan. And he said, it might be that they're not necessarily clinical, but but they're they start a conversation, and and that's that's the big thing. So much like we've started to see the tipping point with the sort of uptake or adoption of of my health record being stories like the pharmacist in the Blue Mountains who had a patient come in who. They could see on their My Health record they'd recently come out of hospital and their meds had changed. Mm. They were then able to start to have a conversation. They went, "Oh, hang on, this is useful," you know. So I suppose there's there's a couple of things. There's there's just keep at it and show the value of it to you. So why are you showing the doctor this information, this data from this app? What what value is it to you, and how is that improving your health? And why should the doctor give a shit? Sorry, that sounds terrible. Um, <laughs> no, it's pretty, uh, that's, that's pretty apt. You know, framing it, it it's behaviour change, right? And, yeah. and that, that idea of, you know, we Australia had some of the most advanced telehealth things happening through the great work in the NT, all sorts of stuff. But we had hardly any, I think, what, 200,000 users of it because of the MBS rebate. So the the why should I give a shit factor was I'm not getting paid. As soon as that changed, we've got millions of it happening. So two things, I guess, and and I'm absolute proof of this. I used to live down in Victoria 
And when I came up to Sydney, I tried to find a new specialist to care for my disease that I have. And I just wasn't happy with them. So I fly down to Melbourne, not anymore with COVID, but ah. and and pay my specialist in Melbourne with Skype calls. So you are the customer as well as being the patient. If you're not happy, you now don't actually physically need to drive anywhere else. Go and find a different doctor. Mm, yeah. Totally, totally. I think I think you bang on with the whole starting a conversation too. And not only because the catchphrase for this podcast is collaboration starts with a conversation. So I think that's a nice way to kind of round that there out. We're go. on the same page, Rachel. We're in sync. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Hey, hey, lastly then, so to, to finish off the chat, is there anything exciting or upcoming for Codesane or yourself that that might be happening and how might people find out more about it? Well, I had a bunch of projects that were going to be happening for Kodasan this year that got stopped because of COVID, which was, I'll be honest, a little bit scary to think, mm-hmm. oh, right, how do we um, adjust or pivot? I hate that word, but there you go. <laughs> but what it's done is make me rethink some of the startup ideas I had a while ago and working with a team of clinicians and logistics people, we're looking at getting an MVP or trial up of a new virtual care support solution uh, in the next month or so and doing various bits of small advisory work but always keen to hear from organizations or individuals who might need some independent strategic advice and support especially given the amount of uncertainty and change we're all facing it's actually a really great time to stop reassess and think about flipping the script what opportunities does this actually create for how to do things differently in your organization so you can reach me via the Codasun website or I'm also pretty easy to find on LinkedIn. I think there is one other Rachel Desain who happens to be a nurse in Newcastle. She's not me. I'm the other one. <laughs> All right, good. Good. Well, you must be like BFFs with her though. Or like, can you trade contacts? Because you maybe no. I, I well, she's well, she's about half my age too. I wish I looked like that, but no, she's. I <laughs> she should work for Codesay. That would make a lot of sense. Like you know, that code. would make a heck yeah. of a lot of sense. Keep it in the family. Actually, weirdly, my Dutch family. My cousin runs a healthcare advertising agency in Amsterdam. Another yeah. cousin, who's also a Dasan, is a. He's an oncology nurse. So there's a lot of healthcare things in, in my family somehow. Yeah, there you go. That's good. And I've been saying it like a Westie the whole interview. Desain. 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 It's Sorry. all good. <laughs> Rachel, <laughs> You've look up. saying it beautifully. <laughs> look, Rachel, I'll put all your contact details and, and links and whatnot in the show notes again and, and the other points that we talked about so then people can check it out. All the best for what's happening during COVID and good luck with everything in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch. Make sure you go check out our website for all our resources, including this podcast and the largest directory of technology solutions available to Australian healthcare practitioners today. Until next time, I'm out of here.